one and only, the only one. Not another like him, never has been, never will be. He's one of a kind, amen. If you have your Bible, turn the book of Exodus, chapter number 12 with me this morning, please, in verse number 1. The book of Exodus. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the uh, song or the musical, Exodus. came out in the 60s and still popular in a lot of places today. When it first came out, it was beautiful music. Exodus, chapter number 12 and verse number 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron the land of Egypt, saying, Note carefully, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Father, bless this holy word. Anoint it as it goes forth. Bless this messenger and give him strength in your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Not only did the Lord create a nation while the 12 tribes were in Egypt 400 years, but he gave them a priesthood through Aaron, and he also told them how to count time, when to begin time. Now we here in this pagan world, we call this month January. January. It's named after Janus. Janus is a two-faced god looking forward into the future and back into the past. So if you've ever seen, just Google Janus, that's what you'll find. Janus is the gatekeeper, the one who opens the door, the time, into the new year. And so the Word of God says, and I'm going to tell you how to count your time. Count it from the month Abib, which is the blossoming in the bloom or the bulb. It's the bringing forth of life. It's associated with the Passover when the Lord delivered them from Egyptian bondage. It has to do with a blood covenant. Therefore, the first month of the year with the children of Israel was the beginning of a covenant relationship with God that cannot be broken. The blood cannot be broken. So this new year, therefore, is important because people, they judge their lives by the years, by the passing of the years. I'm sure that if I ask, uh, if I ask anyone in this house today, how long have you lived, uh, that would be another way of saying, how old are you? And most of you would know immediately, it would come to your mind, if for some strange reason we keep a track of our years, don't we? Amen. Do you know how long you've been here? And you consider that as to how much time you've got left in this world. The thing of the matter is that you had no choice in your birth. You showed up when the Almighty brought you into this world. You had no choice in it. You had no choice in your parents. This is just something that happened. It took you a while to realize what life was, that you're alive. Because for the first few months, years of your life, you were simply living. But then you got old enough to begin to understand that uh, there's smart, uh, a whole lot more going on than me simply breathing and eating and sleeping. And then you begin to think, and that's good. That's a good thing. When you begin to think, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What, what's this all about? Uh, why did I show up? What am I alive on this earth for? I wonder how many other people are alive. I uh, wonder if there's anything alive out there in that, in that vast universe that they talk about all the time. And believe me, they have tried their dead level best to find life out there and to no avail, at least wise to the moment. They still have not found any. One of the reasons they have, and I believe the Bible teaches, that God settles the sin issue with this earth right here. Calls it his footstool. He's going to take care of the sin issue because sin is an issue with a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Sin in all of its manifestations 
And my friend, we understand that, that God Almighty is the only one can deal with that. But when we look into the new year, here's some things that do come to mind. First of all is opportunity. I love opportunity. I don't know about you, but I love opportunity. I was given an opportunity when I was young. Uh, could I learn a trade? Could I go in the military? Could I do this? Could I do that? Get an education? And I took it. I took the opportunity to do it. I remember we had a school here one time, lasted five years. I walked down the hallway one time and uh, looked in through the door, and here sat a boy with his head down on the desk while all the other kids were in there working. Can you imagine how that inspired them to work since this one boy sitting there with his head down on the desk? And I said to the teacher, that's it, let him go. He's finished in this school. And he was because that destroys the motivation for any of the rest of them to do it. I remember when I was in Beaumont Grammar School. Never forget this, just a little boys. I think I was in the second or the third. No, I was second, third, I was the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. And a school teacher was crying. She was weeping out in the hallway. And so as I am, I listened in and I wanted to find out what was going on. Why, why is this lady crying? She was crying to another teacher and it was about one of her students had no desire to learn anything. That young, that young, fifth grade, fourth grade, no desire to improve their life, no desire to learn anything, no desire whatsoever. What do you do, preacher? Well, mark it down as a wasted life. That's what you do. But isn't that a sad thing? Because if that child had had half a decent parents at home, they could have motivated that child to learn. If you want to raise your child right, you're going to teach them they've got to make their way in this world. They need to learn something. They need an education or a skill. They need one of the two. They need to know how to do something instead of being on, on with their hand out to the government. And that's so sad, but that's where we are now. You and all the people that are on the dole right now that don't go to work, that the government is keeping up. I'll get to that later on in the message this morning. That's awful. That, that's bad stuff, don't you know? When I was in the military, they called it gold bricking. Amen. Gold bricking. Have you ever heard that term before? You got, all you guys in the military, you know what that means. Gold bricker. He won't work. He won't do his part. And, uh, and he, won't, he won't carry his load. So it's an opportunity. And I'm going to tell you one of the greatest opportunities we have here at Temple Baptist Church, and that is evangelism, folks. We ought to focus on evangelism this year like we never have before. We ought to focus on the fact that people need to be saved, especially these young people that we're trying to raise up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're putting effort into them. I don't know if you've noticed or not. But we're going to put a lot of effort into the young people. We want them to be born again. We want them to know the Lord. But you can't force them into anything. And I don't like, I don't like, uh, I don't like, uh, you know, uh, rote salvation. I forget, I can't even think of the good word for it. But where you run them through the system and run them through the mill and have them pray some prayer and, and pronounce they're saved. That's no good. That's not going to help them. That's not going to help anybody. But evangelism is a great opportunity today. Folks, you live in a generation. You live in a generation that doesn't know the difference between Moses and Jezebel. You do. You do. You do. This is, this is the most ignorant generation that's ever walked this earth of the Bible. You can teach them anything. You can preach anything to these people today. And they think it's the Bible. That's sad, but that's where we are. So we have an opportunity. And this opportunity is laid before us. The Bible teaches it this way. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 14, verse number 27. 
When they were coming and gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You see, God directly involves himself in the salvation of a sinner. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, For a great door and effectual is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Believe me, they hate the salvation. I'm going to tell you something, too. You're going to find that the governor and the mayor and the president and the rest of them aren't that interested at all in the salvation of souls. You're going to find out that your enemy, when it comes to the salvation of souls, is going to be the reverends in the pulpits, and it's going to be the Sanhedrins in the churches. It's going to be church people that despise the doctrine of the new birth. Why? Because the churches are full of unsaved people today. 2 Corinthians 2.12, the Bible said, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, the door was open to me of the Lord. A door is open. So what does this mean? This means that we should pray that God opens a door. Doors that were opened in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s have been closed. God must open new doors. You go to the homes of people today and knock on their door and they won't even come to the door. You know why? For the most part, a lot of them are just flat scared to death to open the door. And I don't blame them because we live in the midst. Of, do you know that over half, over half of all the murders in this country? Now listen to this figure. Over half of all the murders in this country go unsolved. Have you noticed here in Knoxville, Tennessee, I think it's Channel 10, WBIR, has done this thing on just the last few months. Have you kept up with that? Of all the missing people here in East Tennessee, cold case files where they don't have a clue who the murderer is. And a lot of times they don't know who the victim is. Imagine now, folks, if you've got 30,000 murders a year, that means you've got over 15,000 murderers walking around in your midst. Yes. That's disconcerting, don't you think? Yes, it is. So the Lord said to the apostle, open the door. Now, here's the second thing about, uh, about a new year, and that is a time reflection. Time's passing. Time of reflection. Where have I been? Where am I going? Is your life better today than it was last year? Do you have hope for the future? Are the choices that you've been making, the people that you run your with, the time you spend with them, has it bettered your life or has it made it worse? What kind of friends have you chosen? What kind of people are you running with? Who are you listening to? Are you plugged into some super spiritual guru who's connecting you with the stars or with some kind of a swami or some kind of a super spiritual manifestation of spirituality? Are you plugged into that? Why don't you get back to the old Bible? Get back to the old book. Get back to the old book and read the Bible. Get on your knees and pray. You'll find God's word to be clear and to the point and he'll never lead you astray. But here's the problem. A lot of people get saved. Thanks be unto God for the Holy Spirit's work. They get saved, though, and the first thing that happens is some of these cults immediately jump in and grab hold of them. And they want to make a disciple out of them. They have nothing to do with their new birth. But once they're born again, they're going to say, well, let me show you a better way now. Let me show you how to be a super spiritual Christian. All this stuff is available to you. Folks, I've learned after a long time. Super spiritual Christians have a harder time than just plain old dog that got saved. Some old boy that gets in his Bible, opens it up and prays, and he thanks God for forgiveness. And he doesn't consider himself spiritual at all. 
that makes a big difference. Did you know you have preachers in today? They're coming from all over the place. You have men, give them a big offering, and they don't even thank you for it. Let that settle in for a moment. Let that settle in. You give them a nice offering and they won't even thank you for it. The Bible says in these last days to be unthankful. To me, that's one of the worst things there is. We gave one man $500 at Christmas time. He keeps up our internet ministry. He went all bored. I mean, thank you, 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 thank you. He kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I kind of figured out he was thankful. Yeah, brethren, let me tell you something right now that will reveal your spirit faster than anything. The church is dead because it's full of dead preachers that are full of themselves, that are arrogant, and they are unthankful, and they don't appreciate anything that anybody does for them. And my dear friend, that's sad. That's so sad. That's killing us. Where are you headed? And then the, here's the third thing about it. And that's this. The Bible says in James chapter number 4 and verse 14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. My goodness, I saw this morning, I don't know if you saw this lady, she's 105 years old. How many saw her? From Knoxville here. God bless your soul. A hundred, and she's almost 30 years older than me. A hundred and five, I think that'd make her what, a hundred, uh, about, uh, about 1918? Somewhere in there, she's 105 years old. And she had her mind, she had, her, she, had, she had all that. And I thought to myself, you know, they always ask people when they get up and they're, they're a centenarian like that, uh, what's your secret for living, for living so long? Well, sometimes there's no secret to it. Sometimes it's just simply the hand of God. Longevity, you know, sometimes runs in the genes. And, but this is not to take anything away from this dear soul. She had a good spirit about her, a good attitude about life. She was on a motorcycle. Now, she's not the one driving the motorcycle. <coughs> but she was riding on that motorcycle. I remember when George Herbert Walker Bush, and he was 90, I forget how old he was, 90, 90, 92, 93, 94. He jumped out of an airplane. Yeah, how many of you remember that one? I mean, he had a, I know he had a parachute on. <laughs> but here he comes out of that airplane, at, and he was 90-something-year-old. Uh, what does that mean? That means that your life's not over. Amen. Don't fold up and die on me. You, let God bless you. What time, how many days you got left? Well, enjoy your life and live for God. Amen. Don't crawl off in some hole somewhere and say, well, my time's up. It may not be up. You may have to live in that hole for 20 or 30 years. <laughs> All right. And then there is, uh, there is uh, what uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, what he said about this. And he said this. He said, that this, you're looking to the new year. It's a matter of time. Time. You remember how when you were so young, how time just a week was forever? Yep. Good night. I mean, you get in there in the morning, school started at 8.30, whatever it was, and now you'd think it'd be forever before 3 o'clock showed up. It's awful. It's terrible. And now, I don't even turn around and a month's over with. That's amazing. You're just not conscious of time as much as you used to be. That's just the way it is. 
But here's what, uh, here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. To everything there's a season, to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, and on he goes. In other words, time, time. The Bible said in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. In the fullness of time. Time's important with God. You know, they've got a thing called Father Time. And then there's the, the great, the, the Grim Reaper. They all, they're associated with time. Kronos is the pagan name for the pagan god of time, where we get our word chronology. Time is important. You can't buy it and you can't sell it. It's just something's there and it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. How many of you, you know, folks, uh, uh, you ought to thank God for the time you've got left. I don't know how much time I've got left. I don't know. I have no idea. But you know, that's really not that important. What is important is that I'm living for the Lord. That's what's important, that my life is in his hands. Amen. Is your life in his hands? Well, of course it is. In him we live and move and have our being. Well, here, here is the, um, here's, here, to me the most important thing about this new year is this. It may bring the second coming of Christ. That's the most important thing. I firmly believe that every day that passes is a day that brings us closer to coming of Christ. I do. There's no question in my mind about it. None whatsoever. There, uh, one, one smart man said this. He said, here are five reasons America is more than ready for the Antichrist. Five reasons. Listen to his reasoning. Number one. An increased acceptance of an irrational anti-God agenda. Yeah, 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 anti-God agenda. You just heard a senator the other day, and this senator says, Whoa, I believe in, I believe in freedom of speech, First Amendment, blah, 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 blah. But, he said, there, you know, we, we can't allow hate speech. Okay, now get ready for it. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. That is the most uncertain thing you ever heard in your life. What may be hate speech to you may not be hate speech to someone else. So who determines what hate speech is? It'd be nice if they had a national referendum, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice, it'd be nice if they got the best minds together and sat down and had a debate? Wouldn't it be nice if the people were really represented and they brought out in the public? Well, let's see. Is this hate speech, you know, Twitter? Shut you down because of hate speech. When are they going to come through the doors and put me in handcuffs and lead me out the back door because of hate speech? You see, this is what's happening. They've got, a, they've got you choked to death. And they're going to shut you down. And they're going to use a thing called hate speech. Well, let me tell you something. I want to tell you right now with all of my heart and all of my soul. If you are one of these that are mouthing about hate speech, you are anti-American. I don't care if you're a senator, if you're a representative, or what you are. You're going on about hate speech. There's a lot of things I don't like to hear. There's no doubt a lot of hate in speech. But the First Amendment gives you right. That First Amendment gives you freedom. You remember when they stormed the Bastille? The Bastille is just, 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 just it becomes a thing that, that uh, read a little history, you find out. By storming the Bastille, the, the French were overthrowing Louis XVI. They were coming against a, a, a tyrant and Marie Antoinette. You remember her? She wasn't, even, she wasn't even a French, she was an Austrian. And these people are throwing the yoke off. Why they throw the yoke off? They want freedom. Freedom. 
And France is supposed to be a nation now where you can speak your mind. How many remember Charlie Hebdo? You remember Charlie Hebdo? You remember that one a few years ago? Charlie Hebdo? It was a filthy, vile magazine that made fun of Christ. It made fun of everything that you hold sacred. And then they made the mistake of making fun of Muhammad. And so when they made fun of Muhammad, you know what happened? They came in there and they blew him up and they shot him down and they burned him to the ground. Why? Because that's the way Islam deals with hate speech. So what are you saying? I'm saying this. If they want to speak like that at Charlie Hebdo, speak on. Because I've got the right to get up in the pulpit and preach the word of God. Could America stand Charlie Hebdo? Here's the point. The point is simple. The French understand far better freedom of speech than the average American. Folks, please listen to me. Don't let them take your freedom of speech away from you. And it's leaving now. Once it's gone, you're a slave. You're a slave. That's the most precious thing they gave you in that Constitution. Number two, an increased watering down of biblical doctrine. Most churches today, it's about feel good and prosperity, and that's all they hear, and that's good enough for them. That's not the doctrine of Christ. We should be about the Lord Jesus here. That's what we preach. I preach Christ and Him crucified. Amen. I was reading a lady yesterday. She probably got a PhD in what she's talking about. Here's what she said about Christ. She says there's too much emphasis on the person of Christ. She says we need to be focusing our attention upon this great cosmic spiritual unction and blah, blah, and this and that and this and that. And I thought to myself, lady, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. The emphasis should be on the Lord Jesus, period. Amen. 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 It's so sad. The person of Christ. And then here's the third thing. Increased acceptance of government dependency and control. How many people are on the dole right now? How many, how many 30-year-old men are out there and have worked a job in five years? Got all these signs out here said help wanted, you know, or today, I forget the terminology they use today, uh, vacancy or whatever it is. And they, they can't get somebody to fill the position. They can't get them to do the job. What's going on? Well, let me tell you what's going on. They're preparing a generation to trust the government for their life, for their food, for their, for, for their very sustenance. They're trusting the government for it. What's that mean? That means when the Antichrist takes control, nobody buys or nobody sells except one that has received his mark. They're conditioning them for it. Amen. They're conditioning them for it. That the government's going to take care of you. Well, remember this old axiom. Whatever the government giveth, the government can taketh away. Well, the government gave me my freedom. No, they didn't. Your freedom came from Christ. The government gave me my children. No, they didn't. God gave you your children. And they don't belong to the government. They belong to the Lord. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Number four, increased acceptance of Christian persecution. You take a, out the baker out there in the West. This woman says, I'm sorry, I cannot bake a cake for you if you're two homosexuals. It's against my faith. I can't, by doing this, I'm, I'm lending my support to you, and I cannot do it. So what do they do? They sue her. So they go to the court. All right, here we go. Now, that's just one illustration, but it's all over the country. 
You see, your Christian faith should be, should be, should be, should be, it should be sanctimonious to you. It should be, it should be precious to you. It should be something that, that is inviolate. They should not be able. You, if you are a Christian, there are things that you should hold dear to your soul and the government could leave it alone. Amen. Governments come and governments go, folks. Amen. But they're going to persecute Christians. And they'll come, to the, they'll come to the pulpits first. I don't know if I'll live long enough to see it, but if I do, uh, bring me a baloney sandwich when they, <laughs> when they put me in there. Amen. I hope they'll let me take my pills because I've got a wash tub full of pills I have to take every day. Maybe, just maybe, this poor old dead jaded country will wake up if they start throwing all the preachers in jail. Maybe, just maybe. Maybe, they'll, maybe America will storm its Bastille. Yeah, maybe it will. Maybe it'll storm its Bastille. Who knows? And then finally, an increased acceptance of celebrity worship. They say that when, uh, uh, when, when a certain president was elected a few years ago, that people literally wept. Oh, they broke down. I mean, they wept. How wonderful it was. Well, he's here and he's gone. And nothing's changed. Celebrity worship. Now, why is this important? Because the Antichrist, when he shows up, he will demand worship and he will be one of you. Amen. And he'll look like you, talk like you, act like you. He'll act like a human being, folks, though he is Satan incarnate in flesh. The world is getting ready for that man. Daniel Yan, who's the uh, who's who's one of the he was, I think he was secretary of state or something of Israel said the other day, he said, it's just a matter of time before a man steps forth to bring peace to the Middle East. And keep that in mind. Peace to the Middle East is the first step in bringing the power of the Antichrist to bear on this earth. He will make peace. They will sign a covenant of peace. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. That's the most important city in this world. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Is the Lord going to come back in 2023? I hope he does. With all of my soul and all of my spirit and all of my heart and all of my mind, I hope he, I hope he comes back before the day's over with. Yeah. Amen. I do. I do. I do. I do. Greenwich, England is, what's, is where they established the uh, international date line, the timeline. Five hours ahead of us right now. You go to Jerusalem, it's seven hours ahead of us. So in other words, if it's noon here, it's uh, 7 o'clock in the afternoon there. And therefore, when the Lord comes back, he's going to come back Jerusalem time. So the truth of the matter is, I firmly believe that when he comes back and catches us away to meet him in the clouds, he'll come Jerusalem time because that's the beginning of time. And that's where the Lord Jesus is going to appear. When he comes back, he's going to appear there. He's going to call our names. He's going to shout. He's going to call us up. We're going to meet him in the clouds and in the air. Say, preacher, you really believe that? I believe with all my soul, all my spirit, and all my mind, all my heart. That's where all my hope is. It's called a blessed hope and glorious appearing. So to me, the most important thing about 2023 is that this may be the year that he comes back. And that would be wonderful. Father, I pray you'd use what little I've said this morning for the glory of God. Pray you'd help somebody with it. 
Somebody in here this morning, Lord, they need to do something right now. They got their mind, their heart, their soul, their spirit, everything's tied up in this world. And they're not ready to meet you. I pray this would be the time, this would be the day, this would be the hour. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.